Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. Okay, the Lord's Prayer. We've been working our way through a series, a sermon series on the Lord's Prayer. And if you've been with us, I hope it's been helpful to you if you're joining us for the first time. We're in sermon number four of the series, and we're at Hallowed Be Your Name. So you can see the pace we're taking here. It won't be that slow for the whole sermon series. It's going to pick up quite a bit as we go on. But this morning, I want to focus on that phrase, Hallowed Be Your Name. I think it needs a little unpacking because when's the last time you used the word hallowed in a sentence? Raise your hand if you used it in the last 15 years, just in a sentence, apart from talking about the Lord's Prayer. That's right. So it's not a word we use every day, but it's a, it's a concept that I think is actually a daily thing for us. And so I want to make sure we unpack it well. You know, in the TV series, The Walking Dead, and that's certainly not an endorsement for the series. I'm just drawing an illustration from it. But there's a character named Daryl, who's got a dog, and the dog's name is Dog. So if you're familiar with the series, I kind of liked that the dog's name is just Dog. And I wondered why, and it's probably, the reason he named it Dog, 
is because it's a dangerous, crazy, unpredictable world he lives in, full of zombies. Things die, people die, animals die, so he's not going to give it a name. He's just going to call it dog so that he can interact with the dog, love on the dog, but if it goes, he just lost dog. He didn't lose Roger or Buddy or Rusty or whatever you want to call your dog. See, when we name something, it makes it personal. It, it, it turns something into someone, even an inanimate object. In certain parts of the world, in certain parts of this country, people name their inanimate objects. I've met people who've named their trucks, named their guns, named all kinds of things that aren't living. But when they do it, it does something. It takes this thing and it makes it feel more like a someone. A name is one of the first steps in forming attachment. That's why when we get to meet someone, we're shaking hands, getting to know each other for the first time. One of the first questions you'll ask is what? What's your name? We don't just stare at you and go, what's up, chief, buddy, hey, you. We want to know what's your name. Because as soon as I know your name, it's that first step in the long journey of a stranger becoming a person to us. Ultimately, maybe becoming a friend. So names are very personal things. And I'm going through all this to, to make a point that God has a name. And that's so important for us to think about. The fact that God has a name, because he says, hallowed be your name. And the fact that God has a name, and it's not just any old name, it's a personal name, just like Dave is my personal name. It's meant to remind us that God is not just some idea. He's not just a nameless, faceless concept. He's a real person. And when we say person, we don't mean human being. We mean someone with a distinct personality, a being, an entity, a character, wishes, traits, just like you and I have. You know, everybody's just people until you actually get to know them and then they become a person to you. It's like an image becoming a one pixel and you see that one pixel in its, in its unique characteristics. The fact that God has a personal name is a reminder to us that when we relate to God, God's wish is not that we would relate to Him like He's just the big man upstairs, a cosmic force, an idea, but that we relate to God as a person. It's so important that we see Him this way, and that's why I believe that Jesus taught us to pray first and foremost to God as our Father. Not as the King of the universe or the grand supervisor of all things, but as our Father. The personal name of God is Yahweh. I'm pretty sure most of us can't read that top line, but it says Yahweh. Okay? And that's just our chosen pronunciation. It's the personal name of God. It's four consonants. It's so holy that as soon as God introduced his name to Moses, um, he just never repeated it again in that way. The pronunciation of the name was never recorded for us. So it's our best guess at how to pronounce it, is Yahweh. Some old English translations call it Jehovah, uh, but it's just those four consonants. And in your English Bible, it'll appear as Lord in small caps. It looks like all caps, if you notice the O-R-D is a little smaller, so we call it small caps. And if you look at your Bible, you'll be surprised to find it's everywhere. The personal name of God appears some 6,800 times throughout all of Scripture. God doesn't talk to us or reveal himself to us as the God. 
he introduces himself, he relates to us as Yahweh God, the way you would call me Dave if you're sitting at my home. I know everyone wants to call me Pastor Dave or PD, but really, like, I'm just Dave. I, I, I wish, I want to be just a man. I don't want to be Pastor Dave everywhere I go. I don't want my title to precede me. At some point, what I long for is to have real connection with people, not in a job setting, not as a title, but as a human being, a real person. And the fact that God uses his personal name 6,800 times in scripture is a signal to us that that's the way he wants to relate to you and me as well. Why is that important? Well, I want to ask you a question and be honest because it's really easy to come up with the right answer, but come up with the honest answer, the real answer in your heart of hearts. How personally do you relate to God in your day-to-day -day life? I mean, when you conceive of God in your mind, what are the feelings associated with that? For some of us, it will honestly be, yeah, he is a person to me. I talk to God throughout the day. I interact with him. I, I know he has feelings. I want to know what his wishes are for me in a given situation. Some of us are regularly living with God as a person, the way we live with other real human persons in our life, right? When you come home, do you say, hello, wife unit? It's pleasant to be back in our domicile. Uh, when is the evening meal going to be served? We don't talk like that. We talk like we're dealing with real people, not just titles and figures and roles. Human beings are not extras in the motion picture of my life, are they? They're real people. They have real lives. They still keep going when I don't see them. They don't just fade to black and wait for me to show up again. And that's the way we're meant to relate to God. But the question is, do we? Is that really how you relate to God? I'm not saying that to beat you up or to make you feel guilty. I'm just asking to prompt your honest reflection. Is this the way you relate to your God as a personal being with a name? If you were to pray to God, would your inclination be to pray to Him as Yahweh or as the God? Question that for a second in your heart because I had to really wrestle with that. I know what my, my public answer should be, but I really had to wrestle with how deeply I relate to God at that level as well. So we come to this point of the Lord's Prayer, and it's hallowed be your name. Thus far, we've looked at just the address, the opening, our Father who are in heaven. We now come to what we call the first petition of the Lord's Prayer. What's a petition? Well, mostly you know a petition is something people are trying to get you to sign on change.org or at the mall on a clipboard when we used to do that kind of thing. It's trying to get signatures to tell people to make a change and to express to somebody in power, this is how many people agree with this. So it's a petition. And the more people agree with it, the more those in authority are moved to say, this is serious, I want to respond to that. And so we're making a petition to God, a request of Him. And the first request that shows up in this prayer is, Hallowed be your name. The word hallowed might be unfamiliar to you, but it's based on the same Greek word from which we translate the English word sanctify. It is basically this, it is to make something holy. That's all it is. It is to make something holy or sacred. And so when I hallow something, I take that thing which is maybe normal, everyday, ordinary thing, and I make it sacred somehow. And what we're praying to God is not make us holy, 
or help us to make your name holy, but we're saying to God, make your own name holy in the world and in our lives. Reveal yourself to us in a certain way so that when we see you as you reveal yourself, our natural response, our, we can't help ourselves, we see you reveal yourself and we're in awe. We see you as holy because you've shown yourself to be that. This is important because we live in a world that doesn't take God really that seriously, doesn't have a very high view of God. And if they have any kind of positive view of God at all, they certainly don't have the highest view of us as God's people, right? I mean, th those are the times we're living in, if we're honest about it, is that people in the world who don't worship God don't have a very high view of Him or His followers today. And if we're honest, it's pretty easy for us to slip into the same thing. To not have a very high view of God, not to take Him very seriously. And so when we pray, what we're praying is, God, elevate your name in the world and elevate your name to me. Because I have a tendency to join the world in not seeing you the way I should. Of diminishing your place in my life, of seeing you as less than you actually are. Somehow bringing you down to earth so I can deal with you, rather than seeing you elevated and lifted up as you actually are. And so what we're saying is, would you help me, Lord, reveal yourself to me in a way that I would give you the honor and the respect that I know you deserve. Because it's so easy for me to forget. The idea that we would honor and respect God's name obviously calls to mind the fourth commandment. You guys remember what the fourth commandment is? Don't use the Lord's name in vain. That's one of the weird ones. I, of, of 10 things that God wants most to say to people, if you were to write the 10 most important commands on the heart of God, would one of them be don't misuse his name? I think that's very counterintuitive for me. And yet God says this is really important. It's number four in the list. Don't misuse the name of God. Exodus 27 records it for us. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. It's referred to blasphemy. That's a word we don't often use today. Blasphemy, which, you know, blasphemy we usually use in a more vernacular sense of like, oh, don't say that. Don't say, um, don't say androids are garbage. That's blasphemy. iPhones are garbage. So we, we say blasphemy is an unacceptable thing. Stop saying it in my presence. It's not true. And what God calls blasphemy is the misuse of his name. Now, there are some really obvious ways people do that. They use God's name as a curse. I actually spent some time this week researching the origins of the phrase Jesus H. Christ. Have you heard anyone say that? Jesus H. Christ. They say it out of, out of frustration or anger or something. And I thought, what's the H for? And I got into this whole little rabbit hole of just going, what is this? And I realized it's turned into a whole art, a tradition of using the name of God as a curse, an expletive. Now that's an obvious way people misuse the name of God. And it is serious and God hates it. It offends him. But I don't think that's the most offensive way that people misuse the name of God. I don't think that's the aspect of blasphemy that most bothers the heart of God. I really believe that the way that God really hates to see his name misused is when it's weaponized for the sake of things that have nothing to do with the heart of God. 
When the name of God is weaponized in order to control or manipulate or abuse someone or to somehow channel things so that you get some personal gain by using the name of God as a weapon rather than something or someone to be honored and revered, it's used as a club to beat people into submission. I believe that grieves the heart of God more deeply than we can imagine. Jeannie and I have started watching The Handmaid's Tale. It's not for the faint of heart, because I am, it is producing so much anger every episode, I'm worried that one day I'm going to throw something heavy at my television, so I've kept all the heavy objects away from my nightstand. In this show, the powers that be, I, it just, I cringe when they use scripture and they invoke the name of God to control other human beings for things that have nothing to do with the heart of God. That's a level of the misuse, the dishonoring of God's name that I think we need to pray against. We need to guard against because actually the truth is, the more authority we're given in a religious sphere, the easier it is to fall to that temptation. So would you pray for us as leaders of this church, for all of us as people in some level of authority in our homes and our, our families, that we would never misuse the name of God to coerce and manipulate and control and abuse anyone. But we would always revere the name of God. His name would never be something we use. His name would be something that we honor and respect with all our hearts. Amen? That's blasphemy, to misuse the name of God that way. To make holy is to elevate something in our eyes, to see who He really is. What is the holiness of God? God's holiness is that He's alone, in and of Himself, the most pure, clean, righteous, complete being in the whole universe. He doesn't just, He's not just the most clean, He is clean itself. Here's the way I like to think of it, is when I touch something dirty, the dirty touches me. I get contaminated by it. So very often, uh, our dog lately has been having some gastrointestinal issues at home. And so thankfully, she's learned better than to do it on carpet. She now does it near the toilet in the powder room. And so it's, I, I'm called the poop man in my house. Because it's my, whenever there's poop, everyone shouts, Dad! Dave! I found poop, and it's my job to go, <laughs> and I get to clean it up. Sometimes I'm in a hurry, or I'm a little upset, and so I hastily do it, and I accidentally, the edge of my finger is just past the tissue, and I touch a little, like, oh, something wet. When I touch poop, the poop touches me back. And as a result, I'm like this, I'm like, oh my, it's like radioactive, and I gotta clean it because when I touch something dirty, the dirt affects me. I started clean, now I'm dirty. But when God touches something dirty, the dirty gets cleaned. It flows the other way with God, because I'm clean the way a fallen being is clean. But God is holy in a way that He generates, He exudes clean so much that when He touches dirty, the dirty gets clean. That's not how it works for anyone else. That's what it means to behold God as He is, is to understand He's not like a better version of us, He's something completely other. We don't even understand Him. No one else has the power He has. Nothing else functions the way God functions. 
That's why in the ancient world, when someone had leprosy, a very destructive, highly contagious disease, they were made to wear a bell around their necks and ring it. And everywhere they saw people, they would ring ding, 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 unclean as a warning, early warning system, don't get near me. Talking in a pandemic, we get that, right? Like, we try to avoid, remember the early stages of the pandemic? We would bring groceries home and spend an hour wiping every piece of groceries down with the lights off. Do you remember that? A little overkill, but back then it felt terrifying to live in a global pandemic. And so people did not want to be contaminated, so they avoid people with leprosy. But Jesus in Matthew 8, 2 encounters a leprous man. And in the next verse it says, he touches the man and the leprosy is cleaned. This is the holiness of God. That the dirt never contaminates him, but his clean contaminates the dirt. Does that make sense? I, I don't know if you can say it that way, but you get what I mean. This is what God has done for us, each one of us. When he rescued us, his clean touched our dirty and redeemed us. And that's so important to know about God because our world has this tendency to dirty, to debase, to destroy everything it touches. But this God of ours, this holy God of ours, when He shines, when He's really present, He elevates, He cleans, He restores, He rescues. That is what it is to see God as holy. That's what we're really praying is, God, we forget all the time, this is who you are. So I pray, help me remember. Sounds like our youth group is having a good time. I love it. I read the story this week of a college student who was the first in his long family line to go to university. And as a new student, he was in his dorm and someone began to offer him a little bit of drugs. I don't know why people do it. You see someone who's clean, you just go, I gotta dirty that guy up a little bit. His clean offends me somehow. And so this guy just kept bothering him, going, come on, just try a little, it's not a big deal. What are you doing? No one's gonna catch you. And finally, the student had enough, and here's how he responded. That's not the point. The point is that my mother cleaned houses and washed floors to send me to this college. I'm here because of her. I am here for her. I wouldn't do anything that might demean her sacrifice for me. Do you hear that? He was aware of what his mother had done to send him there, and he would not touch drugs, not because he might get caught, not because it was illegal, but because it was so dishonoring to the woman who gave everything for him to have this opportunity. He understood and he honored her. That's the right response to someone worthy of honor, is that it changes the things we're willing to do, even though we are technically free to do them. I won't, it's not that I can't, I won't. I ask you, does that reflect, does this young man's attitude reflect the way you feel about God? I'm not just asking you, I, I wrestled with that this week for myself. Do I feel about my God the way this young man feels about his mom? This is the holiness of God, is that we see him for who he is. And it awakens something in us that wants to honor Him. What does it mean then when God says, 
something else or someone else is holy. Do you remember when he first introduces himself to Moses at the burning bush? He goes, hey, take off your shoes. I don't know if God's Asian, but he's like, take off your shoes. Because you're in my house now. This little patch of ground around this bush used to be just a patch of ground around the bush. Now, what does he say? It's holy ground. It used to be just ground, but because God's there, because he set apart that little patch of land on the earth to be where he meets with him, it's now holy ground. Nothing about that dirt changed characteristics, but it's now holy because God's using it and God's holy. Do you understand? That's what it means when God says anything else is holy. It's not a statement about the inherent characteristics of that thing. It wasn't like dirt just suddenly became free of worms and, and debris and little rocks and became perfect topsoil. That's not what he's saying. The dirt looked exactly the same as it did before. It smelled exactly the same. The only thing that made that ground holy was that the living holy God decided to sit on it for a while and he made it holy. Do you know why this is so important? It's because we misunderstand and we misuse the word holy so much in the church. Are you holy? Are you holy enough? Are you getting more holy? That word holy, the way we so often use it in the church, refers to are you doing the right things? Are you obeying the rules? Are you looking morally righteous? Only God is holy in that sense. All other holiness is derivative, it's given to us, not because we have inherently changed, but because God has changed our status. Just like that ground was still the same ground, but it was holy because God was using it. We are the same people, likely, hopefully, we are slowly changing in our conduct and our qualities, but that change is not what makes us holy. It's God's decision to set us apart, to call us to belong to Him, to save us and own us and purchase us. That decision is what makes us holy. We are holy because our status has changed. In 1 Peter 2.9, Peter says this, speaking to the church in general, all the people of Christ, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Do you catch that? He calls the people of God a holy nation, not because by coming to Christ we've suddenly changed the way we do everything. Can we be honest about something? Even after all of us became Christians, we still wrestle with a lot of junk, don't we? Would you be willing to come down here and testify if after becoming a Christian, all your demons got cast out, all your bad habits and your dark appetites just went away and you're like, I'm living in victory every day. I'm just, I'm so clean and free and I love only godly things. None of us are like that. I like to create the illusion that I'm like that because I'm your pastor. I'm not like that. If you left me alone, I could probably sit in an adult diaper and play Call of Duty for 48 hours. <laughs> I would neglect all your phone calls, your emails, all my meetings. I would eat drumstick ice cream cones by the box. I like dark things too. They attract me. I'm not holy because I act holy. You're not holy 
because you act holy. You and I are holy because God decided we belong to Him. He bought us, He set us apart, He told us your life now was yours, it's mine now. I'm going to do something with your life, you belong to me. I make you holy, says the Holy God. There's nothing in you and me that argues in favor of our holiness. I think that's one of the reasons why so many Christians are discouraged after years in the church is because they were told you're supposed to be holy through your conduct. That your deeds make you holy. And we've got it completely backwards. Peter establishes you are holy because you belong to God. And then a couple verses later, he says this. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. First, holiness because your status changed. And then the invitation to have holy conduct. Holy status first and then holy conduct after. Do you understand how that works? The sequence of this is so important. You get it wrong, you will hate Christianity after a while. You will hate the church. You will start to hate God because you believe that God is the one condemning you for never getting your act together. Because you came to believe wrongly that your holiness actually comes from the things you do right. It's not where holiness comes from. Status first, and then conduct. It's, it's like this. I'm a married man, but for a very long time, I was a single man. And then at my wedding, my status changed. But my conduct took years to catch up. I remember one night, I just, after work, went to play basketball with the guys and then hung out till two in the morning at a 7-Eleven drinking Slurpees and just doing what I exactly I did on Thursday nights before I got married. I thought, what's the big deal? I've always done this on Thursday night. And I remember Jeannie's like, stood up waiting for me. She's like, where were you? You gotta stand back in those days, only the president had a cell phone. So she's just like, where is this guy? Loser, what did I get myself into? I should have married, you know? So she's waiting for me and I just realized, oh, my status is fully married, but my conduct is still very single. I'm learning to act like what I am. I'm still learning to act like what I am. Justo Gonzalez in his book, Teach Us to Pray, writes this, moral purity does not make me a saint. Rather, it is holiness that leads to moral purity and requires it. That's a really scholarly way of saying something really simple. Let me break it down to you with a, a little illustration. I present to you the humble toothbrush. Something we use every single day, right? Now in theory, that could be my toothbrush, it could be your toothbrush. And in theory, that toothbrush can be used by many people for many purposes. That's why if you live with other people in your house, you don't all have the identical toothbrush, that doesn't work. If you have a cup with four identical toothbrushes, you're like, nope, nope. I don't know that the one I'm putting in my mouth is mine. Because there's something about a toothbrush that's holy. 
<laughs> you, know, you know how I know this? Because I went up to you and said, hey man, I, I'm sorry, we're on a jam, we're on this trip. I totally forgot to, to pack my toothbrush. Can I use yours? <laughs> See, my brother and I just went on a personal retreat in Waco, Texas. And he said, on the last day of it, he goes, Dave, I didn't pack enough socks. I don't know what I was doing, but can I borrow a pair of socks? I'm like, yeah, I always pack extra socks. So I gave him a pair of socks. He goes, you could even keep them. But if he said, Dave, can I borrow your toothbrush? I'm like, you're my brother and everything, but ill. See, the thing about the sacredness of a toothbrush, there's nothing special about that toothbrush just because it's mine. It's a toothbrush like any other toothbrush. Anyone else could grab it and still clean their teeth. But it's sacred because it's mine, not because it's special, but because it's mine. And so, because it's mine, its cleanliness matters to me. Not as an inherent quality of the toothbrush, but because it is reserved for only my mouth. It might enter your mouth, but it shouldn't. Because it's for my mouth only. And guess what else? It's not just for, for my, my mouth. It's only for my mouth. I don't use it to do other things. Even though I think it'd be exceedingly effective at cleaning the space between my toes, I don't use it for that. And I certainly wouldn't welcome you to go, well, I didn't brush my teeth with it, I just cleaned the rim of the toilet with it. No, that's not okay either. Because my toothbrush is sacred because it's mine, it's devoted. It has one function and one owner and that's it. Every other use is invalid, it's unholy. This is how we understand our own holiness. You think you're a better toothbrush than anyone else? God will disabuse you of that very quickly. If you actually get honest, you'll see. You and I were just toothbrushes, man. I might have one extra bristle. But I'm gonna stop acting like somehow I'm better than anyone else. Justo Gonzalez says this is the difference between holy and holier than thou. It's so good. We ought to know that our holiness is not some quality of us, but it is the privilege of a holy God saying, I choose to park myself in your life. You belong to me. I've set you apart. I only have one prescribed use for your whole life. That is to fully live the life I've carved out for you. Every blessing, every purpose, every mission, it's going to make your life so full. And if you honor me, I will give you that life. But I don't want to see you giving yourself to every other mouth that asks. And I don't want to see you using this devoted thing for disgusting purposes. Because you were set apart for something different than that. See, when we pray, hallowed be your name, we are not praying, make me holy. What we're saying is, God, show me how holy you are. Help me to see that by owning me, by choosing me, you have made me holy. When someone says, what, are you a saint? I want to be able to say, yes, I am a saint. Not because I'm better than you, but because a holy God has told me I'm his. That's it. When we see God for who he truly is, it will absolutely affect the response of our whole lives.
Let me draw things to a close this way. A.W. Tozer wrote, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What a profound statement. When you close your eyes and picture God, the ideas that come to mind, that's the most important thing about you. Everything you do in this life is your real honest answer to that question. What do you see when you picture God? Who is he to you? What is your biggest idea about God? Because he says it's a law of the spiritual realm that your soul naturally moves to your biggest idea about God. If your biggest idea about God is he wants you to have an awesome life and enjoy every moment, squeeze this fruit for every ounce of juice it has, then you will live that life believing that this is the greatest way to honor God is by fully enjoying every minute of it. There's some dimension of truth to that, isn't there? But if that's your biggest idea of God, your life will show that. It's easy for us to make a million different claims about who God is to us, but the real truth lies in our lives, the choices we make every day. It doesn't make us holy, it reveals whether we see God truly for who He is, or we've created an alternate picture of God that we live into. My hope for us is that we see God as He really is. And then our lives will just be a response to Him. Not this straining effort to become good people, but this effort to become God's people. Do you see the difference? You know, lately the headlines have been plastered with the colossal public failures of Christian leaders. It's been a depressing couple of years, hasn't it? Church of God has gotten a black eye. And it's put men like me on edge. And I'm a Christian leader. And if I fall, it just happens that I take a lot of other people down with me in discouragement, disillusionment. Please pray for me. Pray for the other pastors of this church. We are not infallible. Pastor Stan, would you agree that I'm a fallen human being? I also agree about that for you. <laughs> Pray for us. But here's the thing. Most of the people in your life have no clue who I am. They don't care. I will affect their life zero. But look what Jesus says. I'll end with this. You let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and not go, wow, you're holy but they will glorify your Father. They will see your good deeds and not see your holiness, but His holiness. That's the goal. They see you all the time. They have no idea who I am. I influence you, I hope, but you influence them. And this is our awesome privilege and our awesome responsibility is that our honoring or not honoring of God will either help them or hinder them from seeing God as He truly is. What an awesome thought! That my, my conduct can actually play a part in the way someone else comes to see and conceive of God. So I want to just leave you with that idea and as we pray hallowed be your name. We're accepting in faith that our lives, 
might be part of God's answer to that very prayer. Let's never get this wrong as a church, Harvest. You and I are holy because we're God's, not because we're good. Don't waste your life trying to be good. See God. Belong to Him. Be His. He'll take care of the rest. Let's bow for a moment. We're going to sing a song in a moment that implores God to give us clean hands. And there's a very wrong way to sing that song and a very right way to sing it. The only reason it matters that we're clean is because we're His. Because our cleanliness is just a way of honoring a God who's worthy of honor. So in this moment before we sing, I want to invite you in the quiet of this space, this moment, to make your own response to God right now. Just take a moment of quiet, and then the team will lead us in the closing song, and I'll return to give you the blessing. Church, I want to encourage you throughout this series as a practice. Pray the Lord's Prayer once every day. And as the series unfolds, there will be this progressive deepening of your understanding, your love for this prayer. It will grow your faith as you pray. So I now bless you, Harvest Community Church. You are saints, each one. You are holy. Not because you've made great choices or kept your hands clean, but because a holy God has touched you. And a holy God has purchased you. And he has proclaimed you are devoted for him, set apart. You belong to a holy God. And so you are holy. Now go and spend your life not trying to be good, but just being God's. See him. Pray every day, God, show me your face. And then honor the God you see with everything that you have. May this be the way that each of us lives. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Be blessed now and forever. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.